back from El Salvador, horribly sunburned. We, uh, we did pretty well for the uh, first several days. Always put up sunblock and everything. And the last day, it was Sunday, and we uh, decided to go out and hang out by a pool for like an hour before, uh, before lunch. And all of us just got scorched. Like, it wasn't even like that sunny, but all of us are just like complete lobsters. We did well until the very end. But it's great to be back. And um, man, it was so many stories, and we have so many awesome things to share. And we couldn't have all of our team here tonight. And uh, some people came back from traveling. We got spring break this week, and so a lot of people are gone. So we're going to hold off all the stories and all the cool things, all the videos uh, for next week. And you guys will not want to miss it. It was amazing. I know we talked about boldness uh, last week before we left. And uh, so it was really funny because going into it, I just, my big prayer as we wrote down things that we wanted to expect to have on the other side of the trip is I wrote out, uh, out of my comfort zone and boldness. And uh, it's funny, it's like when you bring an honest prayer to God that he's going to totally like blow through that. It wasn't like just like a little bit out of your comfort zone. It just was like, where am I? <laughs> you know, it was just, it was awesome. And uh, um, I can't wait to share the stories with you guys. So um, I'm going to try and keep it calm to not spill the beans totally, but that is what it is next week. So, um, but tonight we have an awesome night. I'm so excited for tonight. And if you have a Bible, um, we're going to open up to Romans 6. And uh, I think we have uh, some ones maybe here. Yeah, we have some on the table. If there's one there, awesome. Um, But that's what we're going to turn to. And uh, this week we celebrate uh, Easter. We celebrate historically how Jesus was taken to the cross and was crucified on a cross. And he rose on the third day. That's what we celebrate Easter. It's the celebration We celebrate that the living God, he was sent to earth in the form of a man who was crucified and his sins, or his uh, blood paid for our sins and he rose the third day. That's what we celebrate is that whole entire process. And so this week, um, we're going to look at that about how that applies to our lives. And uh, so we're going to have an all-out just awesome study here. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all the scriptures are God-breathed. All the scriptures, this whole entire book is from the heart of God and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That we have everything that we need for godly living in this book. And so tonight we're going to go deep into this book because it is going to be fantastic. And uh, we're going to see what the Lord reveals to us. We're going to just read, I'm going to read the, the, the whole entire chapter of 6 here real quick and then we're going to break it up. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it in any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also, everyone say also, be united with him in his resurrection. We know that our old self, everyone say old self, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died, everyone say died, With Christ, we believe that we also live with him. 
we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, everyone say lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the results is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Awesome. A whole chapter tonight, right? Normally we get like through one verse. So that's all it takes like in a, a morning devotional, just that little bit. Um, this is awesome because uh, I, I do a, a study with a couple of guys. And so this is a, a chapter we read, uh, I think, earlier this week. And God just like laid this on me. And I want to reveal to you guys some of the, the truths that were kind of downloaded to me. Because uh, I think they have a whole lot of application for who we are and where we're going. The first thing, and I have a couple, about five elements of truth here. If you want to take notes, go for it. We have little cards on the table. But the first thing that we need to know is that forgiveness comes with new life. And we're going to go back through the, the passage here. So sorry, guys, if I'm throwing you on, on the tiptoes of the PowerPoint. But if we can show verses, starting at three. Forgiveness comes with new life. Verse three says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection. So basically he's saying, okay, baptism. Everyone knows what baptism, right, is. You take someone, you dunk them down. I actually, um, what's something really cool, I won't spill the beans, but I got to do my first baptism uh, in, in El Salvador, which was a total, huge, awesome thing. And uh, so it's saying that we were baptized with Christ in his death, right? And that, that for us means that we've been forgiven of our sins, right? Everyone says, hey, God, forgive me. That's awesome. 
Well, that is only one part of it. It says, if we go to God and we say, God, forgive me my sins, for I've totally blown it. I need covering. You died 2,000 years ago for my sins. That is only half of it. The text says there, if you've been baptized in his death, meaning if we've been forgiven of our sins, then you are also united with Christ in his resurrection. That means that we are to live a life just as Christ was raised to life. That as we die to sin, we must become alive to something new, just as Jesus was. We like to to focus on the grace part, right? We like to, to think of, okay, grace comes from the death of Christ. Okay, got that. But the resurrection, we've been baptized in death, we are raised to the resurrection. That is obedience. We have grace and we have obedience. Death and life. So these are the, the two first components in here. And if we are redeemed by grace, which all of us are, if you've professed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you've forgiven, been forgiven of your sins, if we are redeemed by grace, we have an expectation now to walk in freedom of sin. We have an expectation to walk on the other side of that coin. Forgiveness on one side, new life on the other side. We have an expectation that our lives must be liberated to live that life that we're supposed to live. We're called epic life, right? And that is what this is all about. It's turning a page from the death of the life that we used to live and live in the new life that Jesus promised. But we'll see why that's difficult. I think if, if we are willing to take God up on the forgiveness, we must be willing to take him up on the promise of new life. I think it's unfair for us to cherry pick and say, God, I want forgiveness, but I want to stay right here and I want to be in the same compromise I've always been in. And he says, there's a new life, there's an other side of that coin. Now that you have the forgiveness, try the life. I think maybe a lot of us, and, and myself for a long time, I loved that grace part. The grace part was a total excuse for me to go blow it because I knew I was safe, right? But God's saying, no, there's, 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 there's more to that. It's not just that come experience this new life. Second point, verses six and seven. The point for this is we are a new creation, a new person. Verse six and seven. For we know that our old self, everyone say old self, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves, everyone say slaves, to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. We are a new creation. Remember that baptism again, under the water, it symbolizes that you are a new creature when you come out. It means that you're a new being. You have been completely transformed, whether you feel like it or not. You have been transformed by the blood of the lamb that was shed thousands of years ago. You know, what does that mean? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This guy knows it. Galatians 2.20. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Sorry. Therefore, I've been crucified with Christ. Come on, give me some little memorization here. Therefore, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives inside of me. The life I live, I live in the body. Right? It says we are a new creation. We are a new person. And so the Bible here is saying, like, hey, you've been baptized in the death. You're resurrected into life. And this is a new life that we get to live. It's not the old life that we have with the same old habits. So we have a new life. The, the, the Bible promises all over the scriptures that when we come to Christ is that he exchanges death for beauty. He exchanges our old life for our new life, and we get to live differently, not according to the old rules, but according to new rules. 
And one of those things is that we automatically have an equipping to say no to sin. We automatically have new power in which we get to tell sin no that we never had before. First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overcome you but what is common to man. But God is faithful and he will always give you a way out so that you can stand under it. That comes with the promise of being this new person. When you are baptized, you come to life, you have new equipping, you can fight sin as if you never could before, and you will always be able to stand up under it, and Jesus will never let it be more than you can bear. He will never give you temptation that you cannot get out of. That is something that is new in your DNA. We need to know that, that our DNA has been fundamentally and eternally changed, that we will not respond to temptations of sin the same any longer. The Word promises it. We are a new creation. We are a new self. The old has gone away, and the new has come. Christ lives in us. Third, sin is not your master anymore. You have freedom to live. This is verse 8 and 12. Look at this. Now, if we died with Christ, everyone say died, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, if we die with Christ, we'll, we believe that we'll also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Everyone say mastery. Or just say master. Master, right? The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Again, you see that. You're dead to sin, but you're alive to Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Everyone say reign. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now this is freaking sweet. So this is proof that we are completely liberated when we come to Christ and we've been saved. We have been completely broken free from the powers of the enemy. In the, in the terms of authority. So I'm going to use an analogy and a metaphor here. Let's say that uh, you're in jail, right? You're in Sacramento. You're in jail, okay? Um, no. But you're, you're in jail, and someone has come in and pardoned you. They said, you know, you're guilty of this crime, but you are pardoned, and you are free. That is what it's saying. It's like you are no longer in jail. And guess who the warden of the jail is? The warden of the jail is Satan. You are trapped in the confines in a, a proximity and perimeter where Satan rules and owns you wholeheartedly and completely. Owns everything that you do. If you've been in jail, I haven't. I hear it's really bad, but it's, it stinks on ice. And you have people who your, your entire life is governed by some people behind other bars. Now this is saying that sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your warden. In fact, you have been jailbroken. You've been pardoned. You are on the other side of that jailhouse. You've been liberated. And so what? When you're on the other side of that wall of the jail, guess what? The warden has no authority over you anymore. When you have been liberated, when you've been saved, you get placed on the other side of that jailhouse, and now Satan is still trapped inside the jailhouse. And he gets to yell things at you. And it's your choice to decide whether he has authority over you now. You get to decide what authority he has. And the Bible's telling you that when you've died to sin because Christ died to sin, that you are no longer a master. Remember I said master. It says if you've died, then there's no longer any mastery over you. So that's one component, right? 
So we're completely liberated. Sin is not our master. Satan is the warden inside the jail, and we're free. He does not control us. But the other word I had you said was reign, right? It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. There's a difference here. It says when, before to dying, sin was your master, right? And now that you've been saved, now that you've been made alive to Christ, it says don't let sin reign in your body. This is really, really, really important. So that word reign is this Greek word called basulio or something like that. And it's, it's, this, it's this word. It doesn't mean like a king or lordship. When it says reign, it's not like a king reigns. It's not like someone reigns over you. This word means predominance or strong influence. There it is. There's that Greek word. Predominance or strong influence. It's not like a king rules you. So when it says, don't let sin reign in your body, it's not, don't let sin be the king of your body. Don't let it have strong influence in your body. Before, sin was our master. We had no option. We were in the jail. We were completely controlled. Now that we are out, we get to choose whether sin has a strong influence in our life. How cool is that? That the, the enemy's been defeated, but now we get to look at and say, okay, I'm not going to let this rule me. There's no authority. I'm on the outside of the jail. Why would I let the warden dictate who I am? Now, here's the thing, is that when you are out, if you're on the other side of that jailhouse cell, and the warden's yelling at you, you can still hear him. And, and you can hear him, and that's what Satan does to us. We are on the other side, but that doesn't mean that the enemy is silent. We get to decide if he has authority or not. And maybe what's difficult for us is that maybe we've been in jail for so long. That maybe we've, we've gotten used to the, the habits and the normalities, and jail kind of became normal for us. Being told what to do, being told how bad we are, being to tell, telling us that we're guilty and we're going to die. Maybe that's become normal for us. And so when we break out, when we're pardoned, when we're released, sometimes it's harder for us to walk in that new power because it's not as normal for us. And so you got to know that the, the enemy is going to be doing this to you all day long. But the great thing is that no longer is that authority chain connected around your neck to what you do. He can no longer do this and have you move. I have some friends that they uh, a little more stoic, and uh, the common joke is when, when they go out and they go out and have fun, and people are like, hey, you having fun? You know, and they're like, yeah, I'm having fun. And they're like, well, notify your face, okay? Because you look depressed, you know? Have you ever heard people say that? Notify your face when you're happy? I think it's so funny. I th- this is, you've been saved. You've been redeemed. You are free. So notify your body. Notify your mind that you've been freed and saved. You're no longer held down. Verse 13. It says, stop renting our bodies to Satan. Verse 13, the first part. So do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. I'll read it one more time. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Been brought from death to life. That's huge. That you are to behave as, as if you were dead and now God has brought you to life. You think you'd be a little more stoked, right? It's kind of a big deal. He says, don't 
offer your bodies. Don't rent out. Don't whore out your bodies to sin. We don't like to think of it as a way in which I can rent out my body to the, the prince of darkness to do whatever he wants. We don't like to think about that. But if we're not on guard, that's going to happen. We, we, we do it without really thinking about it. What about your words? Do you gossip? Gossip, I think, is the, one of the worst things in the church. You notice, like, you can always have a license to gossip if you say before you gossip, not to gossip, but, and then you fill in the blank. I mean, we, we, we lease out our tongue to the enemy to speak death. So I, uh, I do web development, all sorts of internet technology stuff. I won't bore you with the details. But anyways, I do a lot of stuff online. My entire business, I got four businesses that run in my office, and we all rely on the internet. And so the internet's been down for the past two days. And I didn't know how depressing my life is until the internet is gone. Like, I can't do anything. And so it was, it was out, and so, you know, we calculated how much money we lose for every single hour that we're not online because people can't work. We can't get things done. We can't answer emails. We can't do all these different things. And so it's, I, I got there today, and I just was so hacked off. I was like, this is unbelievable that this is still going on. And so I made a lot of money for internet, too. So I'm like ticked. So I'm calling up Comcast, and I'm just, you know, give me your manager. You know, I'm just like on it. And it's like, this is unacceptable. And, and so I totally lit up a guy. And I felt so bad about it. So I was so frustrated. And I was like, I'm being screwed here. You know, I just was like going at it. And I was so passionate about, you know, why this is so bad. It's like, no one else would stand for this. No one else. And I have a long hate relationship with Comcast. <laughs> I mean, they were down twice last week. I was in El Salvador. I mean, it's just, it's horrible. And so when you're trying to survive in this economy, when you are running your own businesses and things like that, they can totally set you off. And so I just was, and I was just going at it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is not me. I don't know this guy. This guy, is, it's not his fault. I totally stopped. It's like, bro, I'm sorry for lighting you up. It is not you. I'm just having a bad day. And I realized in that moment that I was leasing out my tongue, my lips, to Satan. That I was going to let that bitterness and that anger and that frustration and everything come forward and I was going to speak it into existence and I was probably going to ruin that guy's day the way I was going. I stopped short and I was like, I better stop here. And so easily we would be able to kind of piecemeal out and rent out our bodies and our words, our actions, our attitudes to the enemy. It's a lot bigger deal than we like to think about. And we need to look at this text and says, don't sell your body out to be used by the enemy. Don't make it a leasing option that the enemy can rent you to provide destruction for others. We think it doesn't really affect us. It doesn't really affect me if I gossip or I say this or if I touch a girl there, if I do this. But we are an extension of the hand of Satan when we do that. We are the enemy's words. We are the enemy's touch. We are the enemy's deceptions in flesh. This is not me. This is the word of God that we are physical extensions of darkness. We do that. But what does he say? He says, I'm going to share this story real quick. Just to, just to give us the, I, I want to illustrate the severity of, of what this means. There's an illustration, it's not my own. And it's, it's heavy. And I need you guys to take it for what it is because God hates sin so much. 
And he hates that we would give ourselves willingly to sin so much and give us to be ravaged by sin and to be destroyed by sin. So there's this story. You, you're walking down the street. Maybe you're walking down a dark alleyway or something and you hear this blood-curdling scream. You hear this scream coming out and you start running over there and you, you gotta find out Someone is dying. Someone, something is happening. I gotta go find out what that is. And your adrenaline races up, and you go and race over, and you, you, you find out what's going on, and you see a girl who is fighting for her life. And there's three attackers around her. And you know what they want. And she's fighting, and fighting, and fighting, and screaming. And you go there, and you pull up every single muscle, and you go, and you just clean house, and you save this girl, right? You pull her out, and you, you're running with her. And you're at the end of the... the, the the alleyway, and all of a sudden you, you look at her, and you're like, I saved her. I saved her from complete and utter destruction. I saved her from being ravaged by these animals and be completely destroyed. That's you, your hero. And when she has your hand, she pulls it away, and she walks back to the attackers and gives herself willingly to their desires. That is what this text is here saying. Is that God has saved us from complete, ravage, sinful, horrible outcomes. And so we willingly turn away from our hero. And we go and we willingly give ourselves to whoever the enemy would want. It's an ugly, ugly picture. I never want this. The other side of this is that Maybe we don't willingly jump in headfirst into the water of sin. Maybe we don't willingly say, I'm going to go completely blow it. But maybe we do it incrementally. And I would say all of us are in this camp. That all of us slowly, by little tiny compromises, we begin to let the enemy in a little bit closer. A little bit closer. A little bit closer. Why? Because we don't want to toe the line. We don't want to have a hard line and say, this is sin. This is wrong. God hates this. It's like, oh, it's not that bad. There's a story of the camel in the, in the tent. Anybody heard this before? Of course not. I'm the only lame one here. The camel in the tent. This is quick. So the Arab is out in the desert, camps up for night, and the camel is outside, and the camel peeks its nose under the tent. It's like, oh, it's so nice in here. Can I just, you know, maybe put my nose in here? The Arab's like, what the heck are you doing? You're a camel. You're full of hair and humps. Get out there. You don't know. And, but he's like, oh, well, well fine. I, I guess if it's just the nose, if it's only the nose, fine. What, what harm could the nose in my tent do? Whatever. Arab goes back to sleep. Then the camel's like, thank you. It's, it's so, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for letting my nose be in here. Can I just maybe get like a hoof in here? Just, just one hoof. And the Arab's like, no, you're a camel. What, what are you doing? I'm trying to sleep. Go away. Oh, please. Oh, okay, fine. So the camel gets a hoof in there. And it goes on and on and on. Now it's two hoofs. Now it's three hoofs. I don't know. It's four. It, it's, it's slowly, incrementally getting in there. And every single time, it's like, no, I would never do that. Well, I guess maybe a little bit. And we allow for these little tiny compromises, these little tiny increments the pathway to destruction is not this huge slip and slide of destruction. It happens incrementally. I think a lot of us, we look at, if we have 
horrible, destructive paths, we look at, it wasn't something that was catastrophic that fell on us. It's something that slowly, incrementally, over time, matured and happened. So the end of that parable is that the camel is in the tent and the Arab is out of the tent. And the Arab can't get back in now. Like, the camel won't let him. It's, that, that's exactly how the enemy is, and that's exactly how sin is. And the question is, are you willing in your life to make boundaries? to toe the line, to cut everything completely off? Are you willing to build those walls? Are you willing to live in a tent of concrete and bricks so that no camel can get his nose under the first place? Are you willing to do that? I think that's what God is calling us to, is to say no to the small crap compromises because ultimately we're going to be outside the tent. All right, got that out. Almost done. Next is God wants surrender not good works. So the little part of verse 13 here. Where is it? I'll just read the entire thing. So do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Here it is. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. Say it one more time. Righteousness. It sounds good. Righteousness. Offer your bodies for righteousness. Now, when I first read this, I thought this was good works. I thought it's like, say no to offering your body to sin and, and to Satan and offer your body to doing good things. That's not what it is. The word righteousness here is this really kind of funky Greek word again. I don't know why I got into Greek this week, but I'm glad I did because this, this word righteousness has nothing to do about good works. It's that word. Whatever that is. <laughs> Essentially, it means a higher authority or the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean offer your bodies to good works. Offer your bodies to the soup kitchen. Offer your bodies to El Salvador. Offer your body. It's not that. Offer your bodies to prayer. Offer your bodies to Bible studies. It is offer your bodies to righteousness or a higher authority. How do you offer your bodies to a higher authority? Well, what he's really meaning is the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? It only can come through surrender and submission. That's why it says that. It's not because we can earn it. There's nothing that we can do. We have an issue with submitting. Why? Because submitting means that we don't get the glory for our submission. There's people who fast here. And it's funny because I've been around the church for a long time and people are like, I'm so hungry, I'm fasting, you know? And you're like, oh, don't let that crown fall off your head there, you know? And you, you look at people, and, and they'll, they'll make a mockery sometimes about how they're suffering for the Lord. You know, I did this, and oh, man, I'm just, I'm working for the Lord so hard, you know? We went to El Salvador, and it was hot there, and the surf was really good, but man, we worked for the Lord, you know? Whatever that is. And it's so easy for us to play these little pity parties of what we are doing for God when we do nothing for God. We do squat. We breathe. I mean, he doesn't need us. We exist. All he is asking is like, would you stop with the bragging? Would you stop with the things you're doing and saying? And would you just surrender your dang body so I can move through you? It'd be a lot easier that way. I would get a lot more done that way too. By the time you stop yapping your mouth, I gotta go unwind all that pride out of you before I can do anything through you. And so this is saying, submit and offer your bodies to the Holy Spirit. 
through submission and surrender. That is not something we can physically will ourselves to do. That's not something we can tangibly do or really work really hard at. It's just, it is what it is. And unfortunately, we get no glory for it. Isn't that funny how that works? That God is going to show up in the biggest. This is the, the polar opposite of giving your body and turning yourself willingly over to sin. The total opposite is not take up a sword and kill everybody that does evil around you. It is be still and let the Holy Spirit move through you. Be completely limp. Being limp and being filled with the Holy Spirit will do more and greater things than you can ever imagine than anything that you could ever personally devise. Always. That's not about works. Works is about religion. If he said, give your body to feeding the poor, that'd be one thing. He didn't. Give your body over to submission to God's authority. When we submit and we completely surrender, goodness and righteousness and holiness will automatically begin to overflow through our lives. Why don't we have the band come up here? I'm almost done. The last verse, verse 10. We're going to get to verse 10 tonight. Actually, we're going backwards a little bit here. But this, th- this is the, the, the core truth of this chapter, is verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. Everyone say once. He died once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. This is really important. He died one time, but we live going forward. Living is continual. Living is every day here on forward and for eternity. We died once, but why do so many of us look back at our past? Why do we always focus on and concentrate on the death that we had to endure to get to Christ? When, when God raises us out of the water in baptism and we are a new life, what do we do? Instead of walking forward and going after we do like this like backwards jog. We're like focused on the death part. We're focused on what, why we're so wretched and so horrible when God's saying, you died once to this. I paid for it once. Would you turn your attention that way and live to God? He's asking us to live continually for God. Don't let your sins and don't let your past define your future. Don't let the things in which you did completely spoil the rest of the, the, the outcome ahead of you. It has no bearing. He says you died once that Christ died it for you and paid for it once, but you will live to God. Live in continue, continual purpose, continual perpetuity, everything that you will forever be moving forward and never to be looking back. And so I think that is where we look here tonight, and that is our freedom to live. Our freedom is to live in looking forward and not looking backwards, because we have no master because we have been baptized in his death and we have been raised to life by his resurrection. We get to look forward. Sin is no longer a master and we can do anything that we desire. As God comes before us, we would lay ourselves in submission, not because we can do anything that would please him, but because he would work through us. So I ask you three questions tonight as we close. The first is, If we take full advantage of his death, being forgiven, we must also take full advantage of his life. Is there any area in your life that is still being mastered by sin? Is there any area in your life that is still being reigned by sin, by the enemy? 
to say we, we move and we live a new life. Is there any area in that life that we're looking back and we're saying, there's these little compartments, these little dark holes that Satan is secretly mastering over. The second thing is, is any part of my body being currently rented out for the purposes of darkness? Do I swear? Do I speak bad about other people? Do I gossip? Do I fornicate? Do I do, I do all these different things? I mean, the list can goes on and on and on. Do we rent ourselves out to the enemy? This, this ranges from all the big, dirty, nasty things that we like to pick on versus the small things like me lighting up a guy at Comcast. Everything in between. Next. Are you setting up boundaries so that sin literally does not have an open foothold in you? If you've answered to yes to any of the two previous questions, if you said, yes, there's an area of my life that is being mastered and that Satan is reigning in my life, if you said, yes, that man... Satan is definitely renting out part of me at some points in time. Are you willing to hate sin enough to build a wall in which there is no camel that can get his nose under it? Are you willing to build the brick wall? Are you willing to cut it off and completely not allow any possibility of any temptation in there? Are you willing to do that? Because unless you say yes to that, you can completely forget about everything else. If you cannot say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that literally... Literally, there's no way in which this temptation can break through me. I do with a couple of guys, and they have unbelievable grips of pornography on their life. Unbelievable. And I ask them, what is the source of this? And they, they tell me, is, is it worth throwing your TV out? The TV can only cost, what, a few hundred bucks. Is your laptop really that worth it? Are you willing to completely throw that stuff out of the way if it means that you can be whole here? And they keep on trying and come up with other things and other explanations. Are you willing to do that? I think we need to have honest and real conversations about how much we're willing to tolerate and how much we're willing to play with sin. And I think that is the freedom that we have to live. We have freedom if we choose it. We have freedom to live the life in which God wants us to, but it requires that we toe the line and say, I'm not going to stand for this anymore, and I'm going to do everything I can about it. There's one person right now in my life that I know has completely done that. Completely shut it all up. They've gone to the next. They said, I will no longer walk in compromise. I will no longer let this be an obstacle. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes and more. I love that. So that's it. That's it. Why don't we stand? Why don't we pray? We're going to do one last song. And what my just big prayer for us is just that we would have honest hearts, that we would have honest abilities to take a look at our own lives and to ask these questions and to live according to the word here. So Father God, we come and as we close here tonight, Lord, and we lift our voices, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal to us, Lord, your best. God, just not a mediocre, not an okay, but God, your absolute best for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would redeem us, God, for the ways in which we've wandered into dark alleys of our lives, the ways in which we've sold our bodies to slavery. God, for the ways in which we have offered ourselves as instruments for darkness. God, that you would redeem us and wash us. Every one of us, God, needs it and desires it, Lord. Would you do that in us? And we know that the God is faithful to answer the prayers of the honest. 
And we bring it before you, Lord, and we cry out that you would move and you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that you would truly give us that new life, Lord, that you promise. That you would give it to us, but Lord, that you would not just give it to us because it's already given, but Lord, that you would give us the ability to walk it out. And so, Lord, if we don't have the ability to walk out tonight, I pray that you would intervene our lives somehow, some way, some place tonight, Lord, some relationship, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever accountability, whatever it means that I go home and I throw away tonight for the last time, whatever it is that we said the last time that I'll be kicked in the teeth by the enemy of darkness is tonight. Lord, help us to have that boldness. Help us to be that convicted. Help us to walk in that truth. And it is with that, Lord, that we come before you and say, here we are.